It was about 2,000 years ago that Nicholas of Damascus wrote a 15-volume history of the world. It was about 2,000 years ago that the San Bartolo Pyramid was completed. It was about 2,000 years ago that the Romans built a wooden bridge across the River Thames. It was about 2,000 years ago that the Emperor Nero committed suicide. It was about 2,000 years ago that the Roman writer Columella was born. It was about 2,000 years ago that the Greek explorer, explorer Diogenes discovered the African Great Lakes. And 2,000 years ago right now, China was dominated by the Han Dynasty. And yet, these facts, and these are some of the highlights of many facts I could tell you about the world 2,000 years ago right now. These facts and many others, not a one of them, did you hear discussed every day in the media this week, good or bad. Unless you're a devoted historian, if your life depended on it, you'd have a hard time telling me any event that occurred Roughly 2,000 years ago, except for three. There's three events that happened 2,000 years ago that are very well known throughout the world to this day. Isn't that crazy that the events of the world, we can dig and find some of them, but as far as our common knowledge They have all disappeared from our consciousness except for basically three. The birth of Jesus Christ, God became a man. The death of Jesus Christ, Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus conquered death for all of us. Say, why is it that after 2,000 years, nearly Every fact of history has been forgotten from man's common understanding. And yet these three remain. Whether you believe it, you're aware of it. Whether or not you know much about it, you know that Jesus was born. You know that he died on a cross. You know that he rose from the dead. And even if you don't believe it, you know that there's millions and billions of people even who do believe it. Why is it that these three facts have survived all others? Well, number one, because they're real. And I'm not saying that the others are not real. But if these three facts were not real, they would not have survived over 2,000 uh, 2000 years of time in human consciousness. But in addition to the fact that they are real, there are hundreds of millions of people who have found that they are not only real, but they are relevant. See, the fact that Emperor Nero committed suicide doesn't have one ounce of relevance to your daily life. 
But the fact that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again has relevance to every moment of your life. Now, if you don't believe in it, you haven't found that relevance yet. But if you have believed on Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross and his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, if you have believed on him, you know the relevance. You know that it's because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that you have the privilege to pray. And when you come into God's presence in prayer, you know that you're there because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know when you read your Bible that before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it was like reading a foreign language. But when you put your faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you read the Bible, oh, you've got so much more to learn just like I do. But you get something from it every time you read it. It's real. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And on and on we could go with the ways that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are relevant on a daily basis. Archaeologists, journalists, lawyers, scientists have devoted their lives to proving that Jesus didn't rise from the dead because they know if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all the rest of this is a myth. And so they have set out to disprove Jesus' resurrection. And not only have they utterly failed, not a one of them has succeeded. Not only have they utterly failed, but many of them through their search have wound up putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. The events that we read about in Acts chapter 17 a moment ago. These events took place roughly 20 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. Paul was not one of those people who was at the tomb. He was not one of those people who was on the hillside when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. But Jesus had appeared to Paul... Paul was a, actually at that time his name was Saul, and he was an enemy of Christians. He was killing Christians. He was arresting Christians. He was so adamantly opposed to the Christian message and to the name of Jesus Christ that he was arresting and killing people for preaching that message. And he was on his way to Syria, to a town called Damascus, when Jesus Christ appeared to him, stopped him dead in his tracks, And told him, essentially, I am the risen Savior. And Saul's life was completely transformed. And in the history of the New Testament church, Saul, who then changed his name to Paul, became the leading spokesman of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. That God can take someone who is adamantly opposed to its message. And the message of Jesus Christ fills their mind and heart with anger. And God comes to them, shows them the truth, and turns their life around so that they become the most vocal spokesman of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul changes everything. Instead of traveling around and 
preaching against Christianity. He becomes a preacher of the gospel. It takes a little time. He's got to be trained. But after a number of years, he becomes a spokesman for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God calls him actually to go on the road, go from town to town and city to city and preach this message and win people to Jesus Christ and plant churches. The Bible says by the end of Paul's life that the message of the gospel had gone to every people group under heaven. Amazing. So Acts 17 that we read just a minute ago gives us a little sample of what would happen when Paul would come to town preaching the gospel. We read it. You can read it again later. It's only five verses. He would come to town. He would go to the synagogue, which is where the Jews worshipped. And the Bible says the message of the gospel was to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. That's us. And that's not as a matter of in order of importance, but in order of chronology because God's promise was to the Jews first through Abraham. So he would go and he would preach to the Jewish people first in the synagogue. And some would believe him, some would not believe him. And then from there, he'd reach out to the rest of the city and preach the gospel to everybody. And in this city of Thessalonica, God did some wonderful things. But what I want to show you here in just a few minutes' time, we'll be finished in just a few moments. I want to show you some things about the message of Paul. See, because Paul's message was the message, Jesus is risen from the dead. And I tell you, 2,000 years later, that is still the most relevant message that any preacher, any Christian could preach. Jesus is risen from the dead. That is the difference between life and death. That is the difference between salvation and damnation. Jesus is risen from the dead. I want you to notice these three things from Acts 17. First of all, look at verse number 3. It says that Paul opened and alleged, notice the wording, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. Now, that's this is going to throw you a little bit. But that is not primarily talking about the man Jesus. You say, whoa, 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 what? Isn't Jesus and Christ the same person? Yes. But Paul is speaking to the Jews. The Jews, some of whom didn't believe that the Messiah had come yet. The Messiah was the one that God had promised to the Jews for a couple of thousand years. In fact, he had promised to mankind for 4,000 years. And the word Christ is another word for Messiah. Promised one. So the first part of Paul's message to the Jews was that the Messiah is not who you think he is. When the Messiah comes, when the promised one comes, do you understand that 2,000 years later, there are still many 
Jews in this world who still believe that the Christ, the Messiah, has not come yet. So Paul was preaching to this group of Jews and saying, understand that the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer for sin. And he must rise from the dead. He showed them that all through their Old Testament, all through their scriptures. He showed them Genesis 3.15, where it says that the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. He showed him the words of Job, who said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and I shall see him. He showed, Paul showed them the words of David in the book of Psalms when he said that God will not leave my my body in the ground. And all through the Old Testament, Paul shows them there must be a Savior, a Redeemer who dies, suffers and dies for sin and rises from the dead. And I say to you this morning, in 2018, the human race is in basically the same shape she's always been in. We are still plagued by sin. Every human being is still haunted and plagued by the sins of our own wicked hearts. Every one of us. Have you ever heard a devoted uh, medical person say that they are convinced, no matter what their views about God are, they are convinced that there must be a cure for cancer. Have you ever heard someone say, someone who is devoted to overcoming the horrible disease of leukemia, they are convinced that since this disease exists, there must be a cure and we must find it. Have you ever heard someone talking about the horrible disease that we call ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease? That since this horrible disease exists, I am convinced there must be a cure. If there's a disease, there must be a cure. Regardless of their views about God, it just makes sense to them that there, if there is a disease, there must be a cure. And Paul said to these people in Thessalonica, and I say to you today, since there is this most horrible disease called sin that infects every one of us. We all know how to lie. We all know how to curse. We all know how to hate. We all know how to cheat and steal. If we were not sinners, we wouldn't know how to do those things. We wouldn't want to do them, but we wouldn't know how to do them. Since there is a disease called sin, there must be a cure. Since there is such a thing as sin and death, there must be a redeemer. Where is he? Hey, if it's not Jesus Christ, where is the redeemer? 
does not tell us about any redeemer from sin. In fact, if you read Buddha's writings carefully, he pointed to Jesus. The other religions of the world, people say, oh, well, there's just so many religions, I just don't know which one is it. The other religions of the world do not provide a savior. And yet there must be. There must be a remedy for our sin. There must be a remedy for our lies. There must be a remedy. There has to be. People look at the world and they say, you know, with all the horrible things in the world, I don't see how there can be a God. I say the exact opposite. With all the horrible things in the world, that just shows our rebellion against God and there must be a God with a remedy. So Paul would go into town and he would say the first message is that the Christ that you're looking for, the Messiah that you're looking for, he must suffer. He must die for sins. He must rise from the dead and conquer death. Let me say to you one more time before we go to the second thought here. If you reject Jesus Christ, I beg you to tell me where you're going to find your Redeemer. If you reject that Jesus died on the cross and and rose again from the dead, please tell me where you're going to find your Savior from sin. So Paul went and he preached, first of all, that there had to be a Savior who died and rose from the dead. And then his second part of his message was that Jesus was and is that Savior. It says in the second part of verse 3, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So he made the point to these Jews, first of all, you've got to have a Savior. And secondly, Jesus Christ is that Savior. The Jesus that you've heard about. By the way, don't forget, this is 20 years after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven. 20 years. That's a long time when you think about it. They didn't even have any pictures. They didn't have any, uh, let me show you the headline. Let me show you the newspaper headlines. 20 years. And yet the message was still relevant, and 2,000 years later the message is still relevant. So he said, you must have a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you're sitting here asking the question, What's the big deal Jesus died and rose from the dead? The big deal is you need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. You need someone who died for your sins, paid for your sins, and rose from the dead and conquered death. If it's not Jesus, you better find him, because you've got to have him. But Paul's second part of his message was, oh, it is Jesus. It is Jesus. Hey, the, the, all the religions are the same crowd. No, there's no other religion that has a Savior who died for their sins and rose from the dead, who paid for sin and conquered death. But the message of the Bible is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for your sin and rose from the dead. He paid for your sin and he rose from the dead. Your sins are paid for in the sight of God. And death has been conquered. 
Your body still has to die, but who cares? These bodies are failing all of us. Every one of us, our bodies are failing. These bodies are just temporary. But you have a soul and a spirit who's going to live forever somewhere. And Jesus died for your soul and spirit, and someday when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to give you a new body to go with your soul and spirit. And you're going to live forever. But Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is that Redeemer. Third part of Paul's message, and we'll be all finished. Not only is it that there must be a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, but thirdly, every single human being must choose whether or not we believe it. Now look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 tells us about the people who did believe the message of Paul. And verse 5 tells us about the people who refused to believe the message of Paul. Verse 4. Some of them believed and consorted or stayed with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. But, verse 5, the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Here you see, verse 4, the people who said, Oh, I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. I'm going to make him mine. They believed on Jesus, They stuck with Paul and Silas. They went on to live for the Lord. And you can read the book of 1 Thessalonians, find out what devout Christians they were, what dedicated, faithful believers they were. But then there's the other group that said, nah, nah, I don't want to believe this. I'd have to change everything if I believe this. I'd have to change my friends because they wouldn't want to be around me anymore if I believed on Jesus. I have to change the way I'm living because the way I'm living isn't compatible with believing on Jesus. No more parties. No more drinking. Listen, you don't have to give up the parties and the drinking to be saved, but if you get saved, you're going to want to. No more old crowd. No more parties. Nah, I'm not doing that. So instead, I'm going to fight against this message. It's funny how often people who reject Jesus Christ, they don't just reject him, they go on offense against him. Have you noticed people on television who are vocally against God, how angry they get? It's not just, no, that's not for me, and walk away. It's more like, well, what you so mad about? If it's just fairy tales, what do you care? It's almost as if they know that they're walking away from the truth. It's almost as if they know the tomb is empty, Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't have the courage to believe it, so they're going to get mad at it and fight it instead. But let's go back to this question and we're all done. You must choose. Say, I'm not going to choose. Then by not choosing, you're choosing. You must choose. Did Jesus die for you and rise from the dead? 
Is it personal with you? Have you done business with God? Have you chosen to make, chosen to make him your savior? Or are you going to keep on saying no? If you keep on saying no, the day's going to come when you draw your last breath and you stand before God and you realize, oh, man, I knew it was true all along, but I waited too long. You'll never have a better chance than you have right this minute. And so I invite you, please, if you have confronted this issue before, Did Jesus really die for my sins and rise from the dead? Or if you haven't ever confronted it before, but you're confronting it right now, would you do business with God? Let's all bow our heads and go into God's presence together. We'll just for a moment more be together. Let's bow.